Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, thank you for everything that we've heard and experienced already this evening. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be ready to receive the things you have for us. Help us not just to hear you, Lord, but to have hearts that are willing to obey. And um, help us to have some keys tonight that just enable us to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. Um, Sarah started us off last week. She talked about persistence. So I hope that you've been persisting in prayer this week. Persisting. Persisting. Uh, This week we're talking about something different. Um, So if you have your Bibles, and before we go to Bibles, actually, I just want to warn you that I'm going to make this evening's talk interactive. Yeah, it's going to be interactive. Now, um, for those of you who are not aware, I'm a teacher. I had a a new student's day not long ago where new students came in, and um, I teach IT. So you can imagine what my new students were like, Uh, very responsive. (laughs) Um, so they sat in the room, and I introduced myself, introduced my colleague, and we're both very loud and ridiculous when it comes to doing events like New Students Day, because why not? You've got to have a bit of fun as a teacher at some point in your life. So I said, here's what's going to happen. Here's a room full of 25 students, all very quiet. Here's what's going to happen. It's New Students Day. So in a moment, we're going to go around the room, and one by one, you're going to stand up and tell us your name and something interesting about you. And you could just feel the air being sucked out of the room, (laughs) the horror. And then I said, I'm only joking. That would be a terrible thing to do (laughs) to new students on their first day. So I'm just saying that to reassure you. I said it's going to be interactive. Not that kind of interactive, okay? Not the kind of horrific, what is Nick going to make me do interactive. We're talking about prayer. And so as we talk about prayer, there'll be points where we pause and actually pray. Because I think it will, help us, it will help us to apply the things that we're learning. It's good to hear somebody talk from the front, and then we think, I'm going to apply that. And then we get home, and we never think about it again in our lives. So I thought it'd be good for us to actually do some application while we're doing the talk today. Okay, so I'll guide you through that. Don't worry. Don't panic. I won't make you do anything you don't have to do. We'll probably pray silently, to be honest, so relax. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're jumping in. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, from verse 15, he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then very helpfully for us, he goes on to actually write his prayers down. So that's helpful. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then, in typical Paul fashion, he can't just say, talk about God's power and leave it there. He has to go on and explain that power. So I'm going to read it because it's great. He 
He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Only Paul can write stuff down and still make it sound preachy. I mean, you can't read that and not feel like it's a sermon happening. It's amazing. So, in this letter, in this, just this little section here, there are four things that Paul prays for his readers. Four things. But there are five things that I want to talk about. So, I'll talk you through the four things. We'll stop after each one and we'll apply it. And then there's a fifth point that I would like to make. So, the five things. Okay? Everybody ready? Strapped in. Okay, the first thing Paul says is in verse 17. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you would know him better. You would know him better. If you're ever stuck for how to pray for someone, this is a great starting point. God, will you help them to know you better? It's a great starting point. And there is, a, there is a sense of intimacy that's implied here. It isn't knowing about God better. It is knowing God better. This is not academic knowledge. This is experiential knowledge. And there's a difference between academic knowledge and experiential knowledge. Academic knowledge is what happens in your head. Experiential knowledge is what you know to be true because you've experienced it. So we all know as kids, your parents will have told you, I thought of this example this morning, your parents will have told you when the oven is on, it is hot. That's academic knowledge. The scars on my hands and forearms will tell you that I have experiential knowledge that when the oven is on, it is hot. And you'd think that after the years of cooking that I would know this fact, but sometimes you just get distracted or sometimes you forget. Then there's a sizzling sound, and then you think, what's that? It smells like meat's cooking. Oh, it's me. You get that kind of reaction happening. So there's a difference between, that is a true story, there's a difference between academic knowledge and experiential knowledge. And what Paul is talking about here, he's saying, I want you to know him better. I pray that you would know him better. Not know about him better. I pray that you would know him better. Um, Knowing God better has many advantages for us as people who follow Him. I'll just give you two quick ones, and then I want us just to take a moment here. There is an instance in the gospel where after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, there's an instance where He's having a conversation with Peter, the apostle, and He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter replies, then He says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter replies with what could only have been a revelation. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. So he, at that moment, knew who Jesus was. And then Jesus says, yes, and you, Peter, are, and he starts to tell him about himself. And so there is a direct correlation between us knowing who God is and knowing God and experiencing God and at the same time actually discovering who we are. When we know him, we also have those moments where he reveals us to us. And sometimes that may not be a particularly great moment. 
Because sometimes the Holy Spirit may show you something about yourself, or maybe it's just me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will show me stuff about myself that I don't like, and I think I'm going to have to deal with that. But it's good for me to deal with that, because I know that my, my journey with Him is a journey, and I want to become who He's called me to be. Another advantage it has for us is it takes us to the place where Paul the Apostle later on talks about being content in all things. He says, I, am, I have learned what it is to be content in all things. Why had he learned that? Well, he has this rant in Philippians chapter 3 where the, the, the people in Philippi were, were given, given some grief to the, to, the, to the church there. The leaders, the leaders were given some grief to the church there because of their qualifications or because of who they thought they were. And then Paul the apostle goes through a list of the stuff he's done and the things he's experienced. And he apologizes for it later on, but then he carries on doing it. It's great. I encourage you to read it. But he says this at the end. He says, I consider all of this loss. I consider it all garbage compared to knowing Christ. I consider it all garbage compared to knowing Christ. Know Him better. He writes, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know God better. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause and we're going to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. In fact, I encourage you to pray quietly in your head. Two things I want you to do. I want you to pray for yourself that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know Him better. Some of us have walked with God for a long time. Some of us are very young in our faith, but we all, regardless of where we're at, we all could know Him better. So I want you to pray for yourself first, and then I want you to pick one person in your life, in your family, at work, wherever, and I want you to pray for that person that they would know him better. 20 seconds, go. Lord, help us never to be satisfied with our experience of you. I pray that for each of us here, you'd give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. We want to know you better. Just call us. Draw us to yourself. Open our eyes, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second thing he says, he says, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. I want you to know the hope to which you have been called. Some people are countdown people, and I don't mean the game show. I mean, when you've got something coming up, you like to have a countdown to it. Yeah? Any of those people here? What count now? <laughs> Lucas says it's nine years till he's 60. That is, a, that is a serious countdown right there. Right there. Yeah, sometimes we have uh, the little apps you can get for your phone. If you've got a holiday, you can put the countdown in. It tells you how many days you've got left to that holiday or some special event. Um, I kind of used to do that a while, and I will still do that for some things, but I recognized a few years ago, that as a teacher, <laughs> that as a teacher, the main topic of conversation at any given point is how many weeks left to the next break. Yeah, that's the main topic of conversation. Five weeks left till half term, four and a half weeks left till Easter. It's just how many to the next break. And I was getting sucked into it. And I thought, I, I realized it was happening. And I decided, I don't want to live like this, where I'm just, I'm just waiting for the next break. I want to live 
where I am in this, in this moment, in this day. So I try not to do that. It's hard, though. I try not to do that. It's hard when they write it on the board in the office. I try not to do that. But there's nothing wrong with counting down to holiday or a special event. Something that makes you smile when you think about it, like Christmas. Yeah, that's it. I said it. It is July, and I said the word, Christmas. <laughs> Just thinking about Christmas makes me smile. Because I love it. It's great. I'm not actually counting down to it, but thinking about it and looking forward to it uh, makes me smile. And I think in church, and I'm talking global church now, not life church or here at Lim. I think in church, we kind of went a little bit skewed at one point where everything was focused on heaven and getting to the sweet old by and by. And all the songs were about, you know, going to glory, and I'll fly away, and, and those, that's what the songs were like, and everything was about getting to heaven. And of course, that is great, but actually, when all we're focused on is getting to heaven, we're not very useful in the here and now. And so, there was a, there's kind of a pushback and a, and a correction made in kind of church life where we, we talk about living for Jesus here and now and doing the things He's called us to do here and now. And that's great. And correction is good. But I think sometimes we can overcorrect. And so we're talking about the here and now, and, and maybe we don't talk about what we've got coming enough. And Paul says, I want you to know the hope to which you have been called. It's almost, and there's a few things that I think he means here, but it's almost like I think he's saying, I want you to keep one eye on eternity. Remember where you're headed. And it's amazing. Remember where you're going. And it is amazing. And have that sense of expectation, that sense of hope. One eye on eternity. The Amplified Version says the word hope here is expresses a cherished desire along with the confident assurance of obtaining that which is longed for. A cherished desire and a confident expectation. Have a confident expectation of what He has called us to. But also, I think Paul is, is asking, as he's saying, I want you to know the hope to which He has called you. He's saying, I want you to know what God has called you to do here and now. I want you to know the hope of what God has called you to do. There's a calling for everyone. As a teenager, this would bother me because there were, there's always a few people in your youth group who know exactly who they want to be and what they want to do and what they feel God's called them to do. There's always a couple. It was never me. And I was always the one thinking, yeah, well, what am I going to do? What, what am I going to do? And usually, usually when you're in this trap of thinking, what am I going to do, what you're thinking in your head is, is title. You're thinking titles, yeah? Am I going to be an evangelist? Am I going to be a preacher? Am I going to be a pastor? Am I going to work in a church? Am I going to be this, that, or the other? When actually, we all have a calling. And this is where we start. This is the calling that we start from. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where you start. That's where your calling starts. And I think as you do that, there will be things that God will reveal to you that show you maybe where you fit in loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself. Maybe some specific thing, some specific place, but it needs to start with loving God with everything that we are and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. I want you to know, Paul says, the hope to which you have been called. And when we talk about Christmas or a holiday or something that's coming up, we get excited. 
Do we get excited thinking about the things that God has for us? Do we even think about the things that God has for us? We need to know that hope and to have that hope alive in us. So we're going to pause again and we're going to pray. And it may be that you need to pray for yourself that that hope, you're reminded of that hope again. You're reminded of the calling again. You're reminded of that excitement and enthusiasm for the things that God has for you. Or maybe there's someone particularly that you know you need to pray this for. Let's just spend a few moments praying and then we'll move on. Lord, where we've been so focused on the here and now and we've maybe lost some of our enthusiasm and passion, remind us who we are. Remind us who you've called us to be. Remind us where you've called us to go, Lord. Fill us again with an enthusiasm and a passion for your name that we would know the hope of your calling in Jesus' name. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I remember having a conversation with some friends about the book of Revelation. I mean, there's so much stuff in the book of Revelation, and people have so many different ideas of what, what the book of Revelation means, and there's a whole area of study, eschatology, and it all gets a bit mad. Here's the thing. We win. That's the book of Revelation, yeah? We win, move on. We win. Let's remember that we win. The third thing Paul says is this. He says, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I think there are two things that, that, uh, that speak to us from this sentence, really. I've never been to the reading of a will, and I've never had that call to say, hey, someone famous has died, and, uh, and you've been mentioned in the will. Come along. And uh, I, I've seen it happen, but I've not been part of it, you know, sit there and then they read out, hey, Nick, say your name maybe, say all this estate, this is yours. I mean, it'd be amazing, but I've never experienced that, not particularly wanted to be honest, because for that to happen, someone has to die, yeah? And here's the thing, Jesus died. He rose again, but he died, and because Jesus died, there is an inheritance, And here's what this line means. This line here, the riches of his glorious inheritance, means that you are God's reward. You are God's reward. Now, it's a bit difficult to get your head around that. It's a bit difficult for me to get my head around that because I know what I am like, and I can't imagine how I would be a reward to God. Hmm, this is lovely. Nick is my reward. I can't imagine that. But this is what Scripture says. You are God's reward. You are God's reward. And maybe we need reminding of that from time to time. Because if you thought about yourself as God's reward, as God's glorious inheritance, maybe you'd think differently about lots of things in your life. And the second thing I think Paul means here when he talks about the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people is I think he wants us to remember and to recognize the riches that exist in community in each other. 
that God has placed us in a community where we can both give and receive incredible blessings, and that's the way He wants it to be, that we would know the glorious riches of His inheritance in His holy people. Remember, we were made to live in community. We're created to live in relationship. And so Paul is praying here, and he's writing this prayer down for his readers to to go through it. He wants to remind them that, hey, there is a richness in community that I want you to experience, and I want you to remember that you are God's reward. You are God's reward. So let's just pause there. We've only got one more coming up. All right. Let's just pause there and pray. And I'll pray for us this time. Jesus, I pray. Just like Paul says at the beginning that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, I pray that we would know what it is to live properly in community and that we would see ourselves the way that you see us as your reward. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son to die for us. But also thank you that as part of your son's death and resurrection, the inheritance is is us. We are sons and daughters of the king. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that that is to be seen as your reward. Lord, refresh us. Realign our thinking about ourselves, I pray in Jesus' name. In your name, Lord. Help us, Lord. One more. One more thing he says before he goes off on one about the power. He says, no, I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I want you to know And remember, we're talking about experience here. I want you to know his great power for us who believe. And then he goes on, and it's not on the screen, but he goes on to talk about what that power is, and we we read it earlier. And I want to remind you of what happened when um, when Jesus died on the cross. I want to remind you what happened here. In in, uh, Matthew chapter 27, it says, At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks split apart and tombs opened. There was an earthquake. Tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. And then Paul says, I want you to know the incomparably great power for us who believe. It is the same power that did all of that, that raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to experience that power in your life, power that that causes earthquakes, power that raises um, dead people back to life, power to live in this broken world, power to be lights in the darkness, power to overcome the things that we face on a day-to-day basis, power to defeat the attacks of the enemy, power to live as people who were called to be sons and daughters of God, power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, power to speak truth where truth isn't being spoken, power to stand up on behalf of those who can't stand up for themselves, power to live in this broken world. Listen, more than anything I've said tonight, I think we need to know this incomparably great power. We need to know it. We need to know it. Jesus, help us. Hey, Lord, I pray for us that we would know this power. Lord, I've prayed this prayer many times before, but I'm praying it again. 
Lord, we, we love hearing stories about what you've done in other people's lives, in other parts of the world, amazing, miraculous things. And it's great. It is truly great. But Lord, we want to see you do it here in us and through us. We want to be part of it. And so I pray, like Paul prayed, that we would know your incomparably great power for us who believe. Same power that raised you from the dead, that we would know that power in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So those are the four things that Paul prays. He says, I, want, I pray that you would know him better. I pray that you know the hope to which he's called you. I pray that you know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is all well and good. You sat on a beach somewhere. It's summertime. You're thinking about your friends. And you think, you know, I'm going to pray for my friends because I'm feeling so good inside. I'm surrounded by lovely scenery. It's glorious. I just pray for my friends. That would be great. But that's not what was happening here. You see, when Paul was writing this incredible letter to the Ephesians and praying these incredible things for the Ephesians, Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison. And he could have started this, this chapter by saying, guys, I'm in prison. I want you to pray for me. Pray that I will get out. This is not good. The food's not great. The conversation is not great. The conditions are not great. I want you to pray that I would be released. That's what I would be praying, and that's, that's what my letter would be. But Paul doesn't. Paul says, I pray that you would know him better. I pray that you would know the hope to which you have been called. I'm in prison, but I pray that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. I'm in prison, and it doesn't seem like anything is happening, but nonetheless, I pray that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That, I think, the context of this letter speaks to us more than the actual content of the letter, because he was in prison when he wrote this stuff. And here's the thing, we can have, we can have reasons why we don't pray. We can have circumstances that make it difficult for us to pray. We can have all the excuses in the world about prayer. But he was in prison when he wrote this. And regardless of where we find ourselves, we can still lift others up. We can lift ourselves up, true, of course we can. But we can still lift others up. So I want us to remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And in fact, I will read you the end of Ephesians, because a few times in the letter to the Ephesians, he mentions the fact that he's a prisoner, but he doesn't make a big deal of it. And then in Ephesians, right at the end of Ephesians, where, you know, when we've done this in Life Church, where we looked at the armor of God, yeah, and we, we, we kind of believe that the reason he wrote the stuff about the armor of God is he wanted to explain these, these concepts, and he could see a Roman soldier because he was in prison. And so he used that as a template for this stuff. And here's what he says in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 6. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He doesn't ask for release. He doesn't ask for God to break in for that incomparably great power. Remember, Paul was in prison at one point where he praised God and there was an earthquake that shook the prison and he was set free. 
He's experienced that already. He doesn't pray for that here. He says, pray that when I speak, I'm very clear, and the gospel is delivered in a way that it's received well. I mean, that, that challenges me so much. Challenges me so much. So, yeah, teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. So at this point, at some point this week, when you've got some time, when you've got a moment, maybe just work through this passage and pray these four things for people that you know. Pray them for yourself. Pray them for people that you know. God, that you would help whoever it is to know you better. That you'd help them to know the hope to which you have called them. That you'd help them to know the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people. And that you'd help them to know your incomparably great power for us who believe. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.